Good afternoon. Welcome to the Channel Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield, and welcome to the close end of what's going to be kind of that holiday trade. It's going to, I think, pick up more and more into tomorrow's trade as many folks check out for the Christmas holiday. Saw some mixed numbers. It was higher on the corn, lower once again on the soybean complex. The wheat themselves also saw some red trade action on the day, except for Chicago and some of the nearbys out of Kansas City, and it was pretty much mixed to lower on the livestock side. A lot of factors we're going to look at today, but most importantly happens to do with some international travel just across the border. Mike Zuzalo is joining us today. Mike, of course, is with Global Commodity Analytics, and we're seeing a lot of agricultural groups. We're even hearing folks out of Washington, D.C., pushing for the Biden administration to reopen this bridge, um, a vital lifeline for agriculture coming out of the United States. It is, Susan, and I think it's become a situation where the trade has been very patient with what's been going on in the U.S.-Mexico rail situation. Um, This started earlier this month. We just now have found out about it in the last few days, but it sounds as though Mexico went ahead and suspended migrant removals off of trains um, on the Mexican side of the border. The reaction by the United States was to go ahead and shut down Eagle Pass and go ahead and shut down El Paso. Um, But as you say, these groups that have come out a lot more vocal this week have said essentially each day those crossings are closed, about a million bushels of grain exports from the United States are potentially lost and export potential down the road is lost. And, you know, today's weekly export sales are an excellent example of just how significant this is uh, in terms of physical exports, um, and, or excuse me, in, for, in terms of actual destinations for the sales. Mexico is our number one buyer for wheat and corn. And in terms of physical exports, uh, wheat was 20% above the four-week average, corn 14% above the four-week average. And what I meant by the market's been very patient about this is, you know, it kind of started out with southern Brazil and their problems with having too much flooding. Then we started to talk about the lower Mississippi River. Then we started talking about the Panama Canal. Then we started talking about the Suez Canal. And now we've got the U.S.-Mexico rail situation. And I think the trade is starting to wonder now, um, is this a situation where we actually are moving towards more of a pandemic-type mindset in the trade in terms of higher cost of goods, supply chain frictions, and therefore lower commodity demand? And do we have to talk about in the markets the potential, the increasing potential maybe of a recession? And all those things are essentially commodity negative. And so what was, what was a very strong market a week and a half, two weeks ago, after the Federal Reserve policy shift and after the weekly export sales, I guess it's just been a week ago now, um, and that idea that I was thinking we could have a very strong Santa Claus rally because the gold made new all-time highs, stock market made new all-time highs, copper's at a four-month high, the dollar's at a four-month low. All of a sudden, this has been washed away in a way because of these logistical issues that are reminiscent of the pandemic. You know, and I, and I find it interesting, um, all of this falling so close like it does to Christmas makes me think, and we can talk more about this when we do livestock, but 20 years ago when we had the cow that stole Christmas and how the markets reacted, 
this has given us a little bit more time to kind of digest it all, but it does still set that bad precedent uh, within a market that's continued to struggle on the grain side. It, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, this is in light of the fact that we're seeing improved weather in South America. And I think today's trade, while we had 73 million bushels of export sales in soybeans, with China being our number one buyer, we still couldn't make that work because of these frictions that you're talking about and I'm talking about and in light of the fact that we are seeing an improved weather pattern develop in especially center west Brazil and we saw an improved weather pattern start to develop earlier this week, late last week in Argentina. But I think as you think about 2023 and kind of in the rearview mirror as we go into the holidays, generally speaking, except for the first, you know, six, seven months of the year uh, for the cattle uh, hedger and the cattle rancher, it has been very tough going uh, in agriculture. And it seems like one block being pulled out of the Jenga pile, you know, just destroys the whole, uh, the whole mess. So it creates a whole mess all over again. And we have to rebuild constantly. And I was really looking forward to 2024 not being that way. And while I haven't given up on that yet, uh, I, I cannot ignore the fact that we are really messing things up uh, when it comes to physical demand. And as, as all the old ag economists taught us many years ago, whether you're at Purdue or University of Nebraska or wherever, Kansas State, uh, once demand's gone, it's gone pretty much for good because someone else will come in and take that demand. And I think that's something we really got to keep in the analytical world a real close eye on. So what do we do? I mean, we don't want to lose this, but at the same time, we've got so much outside influence weighing in on this trade, and we've got an amazing product that we've been able to supply the world with up to this point. You're exactly right, and we do have monetary policy on our side, and, you know, spot gold, the physical gold is, is actually being bought very heavily by China right now. It, too, is making new highs and we do have a currency situation where the ruble has been strengthening, the Brazilian currency has been strengthening, and the Chinese currency has been strengthening. And those things matter, especially when it comes to the Federal Reserve policy of maybe starting to ease rates in 2024. That should give the emerging markets a chance to find some support and pay down their debt. And it's typically friendly, price-friendly for the commodity markets because it's friendly for the commodity demand. And so we just have to balance these issues. So that's kind of what my job is, is to balance these negative fundamentals that are cropping up, like the transportation and infrastructure supply chain issues. And, and you know, it really just goes back to what kind of a bounce can we get? All right, well, stick around, folks. We've got a lot more coming up. Second half, Channel Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Fontenelle Hybrids and the other regional brands, along with Channel Seed, are merging in 2025, and we're ready to up your seed game. Here's Channel Seed professional Dustin O'Hanlon from Lexington. I'm extremely excited about this to see the focus of taking all 11 brands and moving into one and combining the knowledge that we've got into one brand and bringing every bit of that together so we can have one focus, which is taking care of our growers. For more, contact your local Channel Seed professional. KRVN. Welcome back to the Channel Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we're continuing our conversation this afternoon with Mike Zuzalo. Mike, of course, with Global Commodity Analytics. We did see a small rebound in the corn. I mean, I know that the struggle was there, as we talked about in the soybeans, and it was a a mixed trade for this wheat complex, but kind of nice to see at least a bit of a rebound for a corn market that's been quietly just kind of hanging out by themselves. 
Yeah, I think what happened in mid-session or later in the trading day was uh, the news wires broke the story that President Biden had spoken to Mexico's President Obrador um, regarding the border and specifically about this trade disruption at the U.S.-Mexico border. And kind of to your point before the break, Susan, I think this is really important during the holidays um, where we get this taken down out of the news and it's solved before the Christmas break because then it kind of takes on, tends to take on a momentum of its own and oftentimes a negative momentum. And so I think that's what brought the corn back around. And we actually were able to make a new daily high. Unfortunately, we did see those January beans slip again going into the close. I think the the later weather models and the bean oil market turning negative uh, gave the beans really little chance of going positive on the session. So from a grain perspective, where do you see this next few trading days? I mean, we've got one day tomorrow going to a holiday, and then it's a holiday week of trading. Is it going to be pretty quiet for these grain commodities over the next couple of days? I think it'll be lighter volume, but I can't see it being very quiet because of the Red Sea and the issues in the Middle East uh, seem like they're getting more intense. And I would say in the last few days, I've been reading more news uh, about the Ukraine-Russia war because Ukraine's going from an offensive position more to a defensive position and their munitions are getting tighter. Um, And Russia has ramped up some more strikes, like with the hypersonic missile earlier this week. I I think those things are still going to be very much in the news. And so while we're seeing a little bit lighter volume in grains and quite a bit lighter volume in the last few days in the livestock sector, um, I I think the volatility is still going to be really, really high, especially given that as we get into the Friday trade, we're going to have the cattle on feed and hogs and pigs. And then we're not going to be able to trade them Monday like we usually get to. I'm glad you brought that up as we switch over to the livestock. That's going to make things a little interesting. I mean, we're so used to um, having that few days to digest. So what type of pressure will that put on on a Tuesday trade? And on the same note, could we see quieter numbers because we don't know how to trade before those numbers? I think we can see quieter numbers, especially after today's trade. I think the liquidation pressure is probably was probably maxed out today, if I had to guess. And tomorrow's going to be pretty quiet until we see those numbers. And I would also say that we've had this really nice recovery retracement rally in the fat cattle and the feeder uh, market. We've been able to get back up to last month's levels and above last month's lows. I think the way I look at it, because I'm still using that 2014-2015 model time period of the peak in price, and then the, the, the supply goes down, the slaughter numbers eventually go down, and we start to retain as we get into 2024 like we did in 2015. Um, how much of a move up now can we get after this initial move back up? And I think it really is heavily reliant upon the Catalan Feed Report and the hogs and pigs, and especially the, the supply side, the kept for breeding numbers and the hogs and pigs and the placements numbers for the cattle. All right. What are you looking at when it comes to uh, looking back, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We alluded to it a little bit on the front half, and it was 20 years ago that the cow that stole Christmas affected the markets. Do you look at the markets or does the markets in general look at these world happenings a little bit different as they learn from that BSE case 20 years ago and how the livestock traded? I actually don't think so, Susan. I I really think the market is more of a short-term memory, kind of a computer-type mindset where they just take the real-time data 
and try and price that in as much as they can. There, there's a lot of theory out there that's being put into practice, I think, of that efficient market theory that whatever the price is on the screen, it's, it's encompassed all the known information and data out there, and we don't have to look around any corners at this point. Um, other than weather models and some of the things like that, that you know, maybe try and give us a little bit of a future look, you, you can see, I think, in the last five to six years, especially since the financial crisis, uh, which was back you know, in 2008, so we're talking about 15, essentially 15, uh, 20 years ago, that uh, this market has gotten, I think, more short-term, and, and it moves a lot more quickly. And I think we saw that. Uh, this year in the wheat market, it's it's hard for me to see and and justify why we took out all of the premium from August or July of 2020 and took that all out by the time we got to August of 2023. When, as I said in the first section, uh, the first segment, we're at stocks to use levels that are at nine-year lows globally. So then, Mike, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Yeah, best way is to go to globalcomresearch.com. I'll be putting out a lot of new information and also uh, putting up the new calendar for 2024 where I'll be speaking and I'll be in, in and near Nebraska quite a bit this year. Yes, I understood. You'll be here near the end of January, so we look forward to seeing you at that event with some of our growers. That has been today's Channel Final Bell being brought to you by Channel Seed and the Channel Professionals. As a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. That's the Channel Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.